Welcome to the Network Collective, where we hang out around the virtual water cooler and talk about topics of interest to network engineers. Today, we are talking to Dave Piscatello and Brian Honan. Join us as we talk about GDPR and privacy on the internet. Well, good morning, Dave. Good morning, Brian. Brian is in... Where are you, Brian? Hey, Russ. Good morning to you, or good afternoon. I'm based in Dublin, Ireland at the moment. Okay. You're in Dublin, Ireland. Sunny Dublin, is that what they say? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so. There might be Dublin somewhere else, but definitely not uh, this, in, no, in these latitudes. No. It's, uh, yeah. I, I imagine no one has ever said Sunny Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> Until just now. Until just now. <laughs> That's right. So, Brian, let's kick this off by talking about what GDPR is a little bit. So, because there might be a lot of listeners on this show who are primarily networking geeks mm -hmm. who don't even understand what GDPR is and what the big fuss is about. Yeah, GDPR is uh, better known as the General Data Protection Regulation. So, what it is, it's an EU law that applies to all countries within the EU or any, indeed any company or organization outside the EU who processes or stores personal data belonging to residents within the European Union. Uh, so, so, so that's that's an important point right there. Yep. Anybody who's even outside the EU who processes or stores data about people who are part of the EU, right? That's so, correct, yeah. Yeah, so that applies to a very broad swath of people that we don't really think about. We think about this being being in America, we think, oh, that's over there and we're over here. So, you know. Yeah, no, it applies to like if if you're a company that is doing e-commerce and you've got customers in the EU and you're directly targeting those those customers, GDPR applies to you. If if you are a data center and you're providing uh, hosting services and you're actively, as a key, key thing, is, is that you're actively seeking or promotion, promoting or targeting to residents in the EU. So if you're a data center and you're targeting uh, companies or individuals in the EU for, for their business, then the GDPR applies to you as well. Okay, uh, so what's the point or the purpose behind this? I mean, what's going on here that this is being passed? Can you give me a little bit of background? Yeah, so in Europe, we've had what's called, has been called the Data Protection Directive, uh, which has been in, uh, in force, for want of a better phrase, for 25, 30 years. Uh, so in Europe, we have very strong uh, laws when it comes to protecting people's personal data. Uh, and personal data under e in the EU has a much different and broader definition than what I've heard many US people talk about is PII, personally identifiable information. Under EU, personal data relates to any information that can identify a living individual. So any information by itself or other piece of information that the controller or the company may get uh, may get that can identify a living individual. So that could be anything ranging from date of birth to eye color to religion to uh, uh, address, phone numbers, etc. So it's it's a much broader range. And if you are storing or processing personal data, you're legally obliged to protect it in accordance with the sensitive sensitivity of that data. Some of the data is more sensitive than others, such as health, uh, trade union membership, political viewpoints, et cetera, uh, will be treated, would, would need to be treated uh, 
more securely. So I think key message to the listeners, Russ, is that this is not a cybersecurity regulation or a cybersecurity law. It's a personal data protection law and it identifies ultimately what it does, it, it, it protects people. Uh, even though it's, we talk about data, it actually it's meant to protect people. Uh, so companies are obliged to put appropriate security uh, measures in place to protect their information. And they also have to uh, respect individuals' rights. So if I want a copy of my information, company has to give it to me. If I don't no longer want to do business with a company, I can say, look, I don't want to do business with you, with you anymore. You have to forget and delete the information you have about me, unless that company is legally obliged mm-hmm. to keep it for or for some other regulatory reasons. Uh, if the information you hold about me is incorrect, I have the right for you to fix the information. If you so if, if you suffer a data breach, I have the right to know about that data breach if it's going to impact on my personal uh, uh on me personally at at, at, at a high level um, so it's it's quite broad uh, as I said we've had this in place for maybe nearly 30 years but each member state in the EU had different uh, had applied it differently in their own laws that it being a regulation now means it's the same all over Europe. So if the, the data protection laws now in Ireland should be consistent with those in Germany, with those in Spain, with those in Denmark, with those in any of the EU member states. And uh, there's also been new things brought to bear as well with the GDPR, which I can go into later if you want, but I'm just yeah. conscious I'm, I'm rabbiting on here. And no, 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 it's fine. Chance to get in. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Yeah. So, um, I think it's interesting that you talk about right to forget and right to get your own information. I mean, I know there are hitches in this, right? And I actually talk about this in some of the stuff that I've written that the company is legally obliged to give you what they know about you, but this doesn't really, does this or does this not actually, I'll make this into a question. Does this or does this not include information that they have imputed or done data analytics to generate about you? Because that's an interesting question that nobody really seems to think about a lot of times is, mm-hmm. yeah, they they need they, <clears throat> they need to tell you that they know what your address is, but do they need to tell you that they've imputed that you like green Twinkies or I don't know, whatever it happens to be um, from the information they've gathered over the last 20 years? They can be, yes, because personal data could be that. So if I like, if I like, it's a good example there. You talked about food. Uh, uh, if I like or I order certain types of food, by that you may be able to, may be able to derive what, what my religion is. Uh, if I visit a certain websites, you may be able to derive from the websites that I visit through your company. You know, if I work as an employee going through a company or a hotel or whatever through their Wi-Fi networks, I may be you may be able to imply uh, what my sexual orientation is, or what my political views are, or whether or not I'm a member of a trade union. Uh, so, you, you you would potentially yes have to give the information back. Uh, so it is important that every company and every organisation knows what personal data they have about individuals and where it's located and uh, what it it applies to so they can get that that back to individuals when they make those requests. Interesting. So how does anonymization anonymization play? I can't even talk this morning. Anyway, how does does anonymize? I'll just anonymize this part. How How does anonymization play into this? Well, anonymization is, is, is tough, but they also, as a 
term called pseudo anonymization as well, which is even more fun to try and get your tongue around. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so anonymized data is still personal data and GDPR still applies to it. So I've often heard people say, well, that we've made that data anonymous or we've encrypted that data. So that data is now encrypted. Therefore, it's no longer personal data. But that information is still deemed to be uh, personal data on GDPR. Now, by anonymizing the data or encrypting it or even pseudo-anonymizing it, the requirements may be relaxed a bit more depending on what type of information has been has gone through that process. So okay. short answer is, even if you anonymize it, it's still personal data. Okay. So, so Russ? Yeah, I was um, going to say, Dave, give us your, yeah, go ahead. So in this particular uh, situation, one of the things that, uh, that comes into play is circumstance. Uh, um, for example, um, if, if in order to be, to have been uh, demonstrated to have misused personal data, uh, uh, you would have to actually determine, uh, for example, in the case of an internet, uh, internet address, um, that it was the internet address alone that that led you to the you know, to the to the individual. Um, in 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 cases where you're doing things like uh, aggregation and you uh, are are collecting massive numbers of IP addresses, uh, for example, the composition of a botnet, and some of those addresses are. On a broadband network, or you know, you know, on a some sort of subscriber network, um, if you are not using it in a in a in a manner which is intrusive to the to to the individual, uh, it, it's a it's a judgment call in some you know, some cases, uh, and so there's still you know, there's still the ability to collect uh, you know collect addresses that are being used you know, uh, um, criminally, as an example. Uh, and you know, and 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 the same thing applies to domain names. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think a key key thing there is as well, guys, is, is to remember GDPR. The key things with GDPR is accountability and transparency. And and Dave just touched upon it there. You know, if you're doing research into criminal activity on the web, uh, well, then first of all, if you're gathering all these IP addresses or all this data, which could potentially be personal data, depending on where all the information you may have that you can combine it with or who you share it with, et cetera. You have firstly have to identify what is your legitimate business requirement for gathering that information. And uh, you then have to be able to stand over it. So, you know, like saying, this is, our, this is a legitimate reason uh, and this is why we're doing it. But always be transparent and be accountable for how you're managing and how you're using the information. Uh, with in mind, always keeping that you need to protect the personal data of the individuals that may be, may be behind those IB addresses or those domain names because some of them may be innocent, some of them may not be so innocent. So one thing that's interesting about this to me is that when a company collects data and then they anonymize it, they might actually lose the provenance of that data. They might not, they not, not, may not know who that data is about themselves because they've anonymized it. But yet there are researchers who can go back and de-anonymize that data. So, I mean, how, how does that play into it? Just for somebody who's listening, he goes, oh my, now I have all this anonymized data and I don't know where the provenance is or I don't know how I got that data. And, you know, there's a risk here for me. How does that, how does that play into it? Well, there'd there's, there's, be two aspects to that, Russ. First of all is the providence. You have to be able to demonstrate as a data controller or somebody who's, who's 
getting the information, that you've put in the right checks and balances to ensure that the source of the information you got is that they have done the proper uh, transparency and accountability and, and, are, and are getting the information in a legitimate manner. Uh, so therefore that protects you from, from that point of view. Uh, the other aspect is as you share the information with others, like just because you've made the data anonymous, as I said earlier on, doesn't mean that GDPR doesn't apply. Does, doesn't apply because it, once you give that to somebody else, they then become responsible for the data you've given them. Mm-hmm. So they need to have GDPR to protect that information as well. Okay. So no matter where the data goes, GDPR goes with it. So that's an important Absolutely. point. Yeah, because so, as, as as you pointed out, it it, it could be de-anonymized by another party because they might have a, a data set somewhere that if you match the two together, suddenly you can identify the individuals behind it. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So, Dave, from a U.S. perspective, how does this impact companies in the U.S. Other than it being, you know, of course, it applies in the U.S. for for EU citizens. Um, how does that impact? I mean, what do American companies need to look for or or care about? in this particular case? Well, um, yeah, uh, European, uh, the, the European Union law uh, applies to, uh, to data of their, their, um, their citizens and, and people residing you know, in the EU. Uh, and if you are uh, processing or you are um, uh, controlling data that applies to, uh, to anyone who falls into those categories, you are obliged to protect it or you can be, uh, you can be, Subject to uh, rather serious fines. I mean, that the, the, there were many, many, many zeros behind the you know, the, the significant number in the <laughs> fines, um, and, and in, in fact, it would yeah you know, would make the, some of the recent uh, uh, fines uh, uh, against uh, certain large social media companies seem trivial by comparison. Uh, the 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 problem that that I have fundamentally with the way that people are are interpreting the EU law is uh, that uh, because it's hard to implement and because there's a lot of of legal uncertainty, um, attorneys uh, it become uh, obsessive obsessively uh, risk averse. And so they say, well, we're not going to disclose any of it and we're going to hide it all. Uh, and um, and it doesn't matter uh, you know, where people reside. We're just going to, to, to just turn it all off. It doesn't matter whether uh, it's not really a, a person, um, but a legal entity. We're just going to, to you know, turn off access entirely. Um, I think that that sets a, a really bad uh, principle for the internet that a single country uh, or a single set of countries can establish a regulation that uh, that forces everyone who is connected to the internet uh, in any country to react uh, in that kind of manner. So I always ask people, uh, you know, would everyone be as sanguine about the, the, the law if it said uh, the China GDPR or the Iranian GDPR or the Russian GDPR as opposed to the EU GDPR? Uh, uh, because uh, ultimately, I think each country still has to... The US GDPR. <laughs> Yeah, well, yes, I was about to say. Well, I was about to say. Ultimately, we, um, you know, the, the U.S. should have an opportunity to create its GDPR. And in in the in the in cases where these conflict 
we end up in the same kind of legal morass that we've been in before, where we have, you know, uh, we have to resort to, especially in, in fighting crime, we have to resort to really, really arcane, complicated structures like mutual legal assistance uh, in order to resolve uh, conflict in, in legislation. Uh, and, and Brian knows, and Russ, I imagine you know that you know, the UK law is different from US law. And in the in a case where somebody needs information uh, from, from a foreign country, uh, you know, the, the, the prevailing uh, legal um, uh, constructs uh, are the ones that that win, so to speak. So, if the UK thinks that this is this is an important piece of information uh, for you know for pursuing a criminal, or uh, and the US says, well, if that doesn't fall into our criminal codes, too bad. Uh, and so, I I think that what what's happening as we you know, as we all run towards the, uh, to the EU GDPR in a very defensive manner and not really a thoughtful manner, is uh, we're creating a situation where we're going to have more and more of those conflicts as opposed to some sort of normalization. So, so it's interesting you bring that up because I know that there are two countervailing trends here on the internet that most people don't even think about or realize. One is that Jeff Houston has documented from the AS connectivity graph and traffic pattern information that the internet seems to be moving from a partial mesh or a meshy mesh more towards a hub and spoke structure where all the big provide all the big content providers directly peer with IXs who then peer directly with eyeball networks so they peer directly with eyeball networks without the IX even in the middle and we're seeing this on the cloud side as well, right? I mean, you have to go to Google, you have to go to Azure, you have to go to, you know, whatever it is, um, the big cloud providers to get anything done anymore. So, you know, you're going to be connecting to those guys. And so the internet's becoming slowly but surely more of a hub and spoke rather than a, more of a full mesh. So therefore we kind of see all the power, as we might say, of information coalescing or dragging itself into a scale-free, not, not so much a scale-free network, but more of a hub and spoke. But on the other side, we have things like GDPR saying, no, these countries have a right to have their citizens have their information treated a certain way. And this kind of works against that centralization of information in a sense. So any thoughts on that? I mean, that, that just seems to be like an interesting pair of phenomena that are going on at the same time. And I, I kind of wonder how that's going to play out. Well, I kind of just to maybe follow up on both your points, your point there, Russ, and, and Dave's there about you know, an Iranian GDPR or a Chinese GDPR. Uh, we don't know what the future holds. Like yeah. Ten years ago, none of us, none of, we wouldn't have this conversation uh, online because the, the connectivity wasn't there to do it. We didn't have you know, iPhones or anything else to the extent we do now. We didn't have the social media networks that are around. Uh, who knows what's going to happen in five or 10 years time. And I think that's where legislation fails, but where it succeeds as well, is that you can't write legislation for today's technology because if you do, it's going to be out of date tomorrow. Uh, right. But at the same time, coming back to, to Dave's point, is that sometimes you legislation to do, do, do business these days so if you take law enforcement with the uh, uh, the mutual the 
um, that process, that's very time consuming and very slow. It's not good for cybercrime because things happen in milliseconds and seconds, not in months or years. Uh, but I think the core of all this confusion and problem with, with the various different regulations or laws that are coming out into the cyberspace and not just GDPR, um, is that legal people get their hands on it. And as Dave says, legal people hate risk, they avoid risk, and they will advise on doing engagement in, in, in those areas. So, uh, but the interesting point is that GDPR itself is a risk-based regulation. You as a business or as an organization, you identify the risks and you, ident- you figure out how you're going to manage those risks within the parameters of the regulation. Uh, so the regulation doesn't say you shouldn't do this or, you know, it's it's more so to say you have to do this in a certain way. Uh, and once you identify the right risks and the process to do it, you 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 can do a lot of it. Uh, it it's not one hundred percent perfect. No law ever is, but it is one of those. Uh, uh, I suppose maybe just to. solely on legal people for advice about GTPR, you're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I know early on you said something about uh, one of the problems that you're having or one of the things you see with GDPR is that a lot of businesses are complaining that it's hard to implement and it's, um, you know, almost some, I've heard the term draconian, you know, for instance, out thrown out there and that, and that may be risk maybe a risk aversion strategy, which, which by the way, you know, it's not just lawyers. We all <laughs> prefer not to have risk, <laughs> you know, it's, but, but it's but part of life. That's right. You can't get rid of it, it completely. That's right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in fact, I, I just read um, Zuboff's book, um, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, which by the way, if you haven't read, you should. And it's, it's, dramatically frightening, honestly, even as somebody who's worked, I mean, I worked for LinkedIn and I've, I've worked for hyperscalers and I have friends who work at all those companies she's talking about, um, actually really good friends at all those companies she's talking about. And it's very, um, but the point she makes, I think about this all being about risk aversion on the part of the advertisers and the marketers is really fascinating for me because that plays into GDPR, that plays into all the stuff that we do about being mm-hmm. risk averse. So, yeah, anyway, I mean, so tell me a little bit about the implementation part, um, Brian, because I know that you said early on that there were issues there around the way people were treating it and concerns and that, that you had some pushback on those concerns about the way people are doing that. Yeah, I think the the key thing is that uh, maybe just to reiterate the point, GDPR, while it's it's here just over a year now, it, it was in place two years prior to that, so it shouldn't have come as a shock to anybody. Uh, for anybody in, within the EU, we had the Data Protection Directive regime before that for the guts of 30 years. So really, GDPR has evolved from what the previous data protection regime was. So it's not as if it's this brand new shiny toy that suddenly appeared uh, to many of the European organizations. It may be brand new and shiny to uh, con- uh, organizations outside of the EU, uh, but within the EU, we have have been working with data protection uh, for quite a number of years. So implementation of GDPR for many of those European co- uh, organizations shouldn't be 
be huge. Now, I will say though, there has been a high demand in in, in the EU because because the, the, one of the key weaknesses with the previous data regime was the lack of enforcement and the lack of uh, penalties or, or significant penalties to organizations. Um, and the one that has grabbed all the headlines and damage everyone has been the huge fines, you know, for a serious breach of GDPR, you, you can face uh, fines up to 20 million euro or 4% of your global turnover. But not only that, the regulator could turn around and tell you, Russ, we don't like how your organization is processing that data. So we're are, are, are stopping you from processing data that way. So if you think of any business that relies on solely on how it builds its brand or builds its product based, and it's, you know, it is per, people's personal data. If they're told you can't do that anymore, you're out of business. You know, you could be a huge social media company and a 20 billion euro fine might be, a bit of a sting, but if you're if they turn around and say you can't do that anymore, that's even more significant. And Google actually had one of those findings in Germany recently, where how the Android operating system is used to gather people's information has been found to be in breach of GDPR. So Google now have to go back and look at how Android is, is structured. So the core thing, coming back to the point about implementation, is that we're putting the individuals at the heart of what the business does with, with their data. And the focus has to be on the risk to the individual, not on the benefits to the business or the risk to the business itself. So how you manage and how you process personal data, what you use it for, how long you keep it. These are questions you need to ask yourself. And if you don't need that information, A, don't gather it and B, get rid of it. Because if you don't have it, you don't need to secure it. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's interesting because I think so much of the world is moving towards a data centric view. And so this kind of is a push back against that in some sense, or a, a let's, let's rethink this a little bit and think about how we're handling data um, since everything. I mean, I always say if data can disrupt a market, it will disrupt a market. And so any place you look in the marketing world, any place you look in yeah, any market plus, today, right? You know, yeah, we think was, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, no, it's, it's so good. One just, of the things that... Sorry, guys. Go ahead, Dave. Sorry. Um, I, one of the things that uh, I, I uh, conclude from, from uh, the GDPR is that uh, the, the the people who wrote the wrote the reg and the data protection agency uh, uh, agents that that were studying it uh, had this model of data at rest, and it really it, it really focuses on 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 what what uh, look like um, database characteristics, as opposed to the kind of yeah. kind of um, uh, the the kind of use cases that uh, that. I don't think anybody ever considered. Um, as an example, uh, I have I have probably easily a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand emails uh, you know, archived. They have signature lines of people in the EU. Those signature lines contain what you know, what Brian has uh, has indicated are you know, our personal data. Um, I'm, you know, I've asked a, a number of people and I don't always get the same answer, but most of the time I get the answer that I'm technically a collector and I, I should have the responsibility of, of protecting that information because I have it. Uh, I don't think that the, that the DPAs actually thought about that. Um, I also think that um, 
if you follow the logic in the way that the, the law processes, it says, you know, protect the the the, the data of, of of people, of natural persons and and and, and citizens in our in our um, EU. Uh, criminals are are people. So, yeah, if you use the use the deductive reasoning here, then then you know, we protect the data of criminals. And in fact, that's actually the way that a lot of the implementations end up. Um, falling into place, especially um, the uh, the domain name registration records uh, as accessed by who is. Uh, so, so I think it's a yeah. Uh, there are an awful lot of um, uh, reconsiderations, yeah, and 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 maybe a, a broader education that's that's necessary uh, during 2020 when when the EU actually spends time looking at. The, the GDPR and, and tries to understand how it has, you know, how it has fared, whether it is, but has been effective. Uh, uh, yes, if it has hasn't been effective, where and why not? And I think that, you know, that as Brian said, you know, the laws are really dangerous because they, you know, that uh, sometimes they're immutable. You know, so like in the United States, we're working with with criminal laws that are, that are you know, predate, um, you know, laptops. And predates computers, uh, computer um, desktops. So, so we have to be really careful uh, um, that that when we make these laws, we shouldn't make them so prescriptive uh, that yeah that they can evolve with you know with use cases, with applications of data, with uh, you know, with technology. Uh, and I'm afraid that that because people hate to measure risk. Yeah, and they hate to admit that there's that that there's there isn't a zero risk scenario in 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 any circumstance. That we're always going to have this kind of uh, dramatic reactive uh, uh, or reactive um, response to to these kinds of legislation, and that and often what happens is you know you, you end up with a lot of the uh, tossing the baby out with the bathwater scenarios, and in 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 the case of of you know, uh, Pursuing cyber criminals. Uh, this is exactly what happens with you know, with who is. Yeah. So the impact on who is, I think, is a big one. So that that's an interesting one. But to, to back up to another point you're making there, real fast, Bruce Schneier talks about this a lot with his terrorist. Um, I don't know if you know that every year he has a contest of who can come up with the best terrorist scenario. And, you know, it's, it's kind of designed to point out that we don't do well at measuring risk. Like we think about big things, but we don't think about little things and we don't, we don't apportion risk correctly based on that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting point that, that we are trying to mitigate the risk. We're trying to be very strong about it, but you can't really mitigate it. And the laws have to be written such that you can get around that. So, Brian, I think you were about to say something there, so I don't want to. Yeah, I, well, I, I know myself and Dave, have, uh, we've talked about this via email about the whole who is uh, issue. And uh, I'm thinking I'd fall more into the camp that who is didn't spend enough time or energy in uh, uh, preparing for GDPR. And if they had done so properly, we wouldn't be in the situation we are today. So I wouldn't lay all the blame at the feet of GDPR. There are uh, ways to implement GDPR that you can, you know, coming back to legitimate business requirements and needs that you can gather information and share it with people in, in certain ways. You just need to have transparency and accountability around it. There are also uh, exceptions to GDPR for for uh, 
law enforcement uh, if they need to get certain data and there's a threat to life, then that you know they can get that that information can be shared with law enforcement. You don't have to stick to your GDPR guns. Uh, you know there there there, there is a. Um, a clause in GDPR to, to to allow that, and there is the e, the EU uh, law enforcement directive as well. So there is other mechanisms and mechanisms in place. I think if if yeah. organisations sit down and think through exactly what it is they do with information, how they share the information, how they gather it, what they want to do with it, that you can actually still uh, have GDPR working for you, but and as as opposed to against you. So so uh, I, go ahead, Dave. Sorry. Um, so, so to be clear, I, I do not place um, any of the who is blame on, on the, the EU and all of the who is blame on the ICANN community and, uh, and the corporation. Um, to the extent that uh, I, left, I left the corporation um, in July <laughs> shortly, after, you know, shortly after the May 25 implementation out of frustration over you know, exactly how badly they were, they were mangling uh, you know, uh, investigations capabilities. Um, the, one of the things that, <laughs> that everyone sort of assumes um, when you talk about databases is that there is a, a, at least a moderate effort for accuracy and validation. Uh, and uh, you know, unless you're running a pay portal and you're just collecting an email address, uh, when you're doing something that actually involves personal data, you, you usually try to, to you know, make, make a, a, some effort to get something accurate because there's a purpose in having that data. Um, the root cause, in my mind, of why ICANN has has made the you know the, the buffoonery of, of exactly what 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 uh, they've done with what they call the temporary spec for who is, is that um, there has never been an incentive for uh, the ICANN registries and registrars to, uh, to to provide who is. They've always hated it. It's been an unfunded mandate, and there has never been an incentive for them to to. Uh, put any effort into validating um, the information that is going to be published in the who is. They will validate the credit card information, but they will not, they don't bother because that means money, of course, mm -hmm. uh, but they will not validate uh, and they never have validated. And they've erstwhile refused uh, to, uh, to uh, change any of their um, accreditation or contractual obligations to include validation uh, over and over and over again. So what they have is, you know, a database of you know, 300, north of 300 million uh, red records, uh, arguably 75, 80% of them have some inaccuracy. So, you know, and especially uh, because they're not going and making an effort to discriminate between a natural person, a natural person in the EU, a, uh, a legal entity, um, uh, the, you know, they, are, you know, they are, are literally covering their own you know, on rear ends uh, because they cannot act, they cannot uh, do what is necessary in toward in terms of uh, compartmentalizing or or discriminating between um, legal entities and natural persons, and they don't have any guidelines to do that. And so, you know, they duck and ran for cover, you know, run into the bunker, hide everything. Uh, but the consequences of that have been absolutely dire. And I'll I'll, I'll let you guys, you know. Um, you know, chime in, but then I'd like to talk about some of the consequences um, later on because I have those queued up. Yeah. yeah. So I think what's interesting about that is that we run the same situation in RPKI, right? <clears throat> and anything yes. to do with BGP security, which is that if I don't try to validate the information, I'm not res legally responsible for that information. So it's not like the 
the it's not like the ability what or the you couldn't put a database field in that said that this is a real person versus this is a this is a corporate entity. It's more like if I try to validate that, I have to have a process. Mm-hmm. And if I'm wrong, then I'm somehow legally on the hook. Maybe it's not so big of a deal in that case. But I mean, I'm, I'm going back before GDPR, at least in the U.S., that if I just don't have the data, I'm not responsible for it and I'm not responsible for its accuracy or, or nor not even just that, but if I structure things correctly, I'm not responsible for what other people do. This is the publisher versus content provider or platform differentiation that's made in U.S. law quite often, right? Is that if you're a social media company, you're not a publisher, you're just a content, you're just a platform and therefore you're not responsible for what your users put out there. And I think the ICANN has tried to, in many cases with who is, tried to play that. We're not responsible for that data because we're just the platform. We're not the, con- we're not a, a, a publisher of that data. So, and, and legally it makes sense to make that differentiation but then it gets you into into quandaries like this. It gets you into problems just like this one. So so imagine imagine for a minute if all the property titles in the world were treated this way. Right? And and you know, despite the fact that people claim that a domain name is not property, that the fact the fact is that the way that the data are used is very much like a, a property title search. Uh, you know, when you are are looking to okay. You're looking to do a business transaction, like buy a domain from or, from someone, um, because you happen to have created a name and they happen to be squatting on that, you know, or or had wisely bought that do, or registered that domain to, um, speculatively. You're doing a transaction. You're you're essentially doing a, a title search in the same way that people do title searches for you know, for homes, for businesses, for apartments, whatever. Um, if you are pursuing a criminal. Uh, and you, you know, you, you know, uh, are, are an investigator, not, not specifically law enforcement, uh, but you're an investigator. You are looking to find out the locus of his activity. You want to know what, where he is, what, you know, what his doing business as, you know, so to speak, is, which is the domain name or the URL, you know, and, and then from the URL deriving the domain name or the IP address. And so uh, we, I'm, I'm all for privacy, and I don't think there are any investigators that I work with who are professional, who are, uh, are practicing, you know, um, uh, zealously and diligently uh, to, to, to take down cyber criminals and, and, you know, and uh, uh, help in counterterrorism. Uh, and uh, and uh, uh, nation state influencing campaigns, uh, you, you, you need to need to be able to go and and take a look at this data for public safety purposes. And as Brian pointed out, there is there actually is a clause in uh, or an article, Article 6 in GDPR that talks about lawful purposes. And all the use cases that I've just mentioned and more that that cyber investigators, uh, again, whether whether private actors or academics or um, you know, or law enforcement proper uh, follow uh, 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 fall into the Article Six. Yet the ICANN community has argued for nearly two years over you know, over lawful purposes and who you know, who legitimately can get access to lawful purposes. And they're actually two different issues. You know, the lawful purposes are pretty clear. I mean, you have to be you have to be uh, uh, pretty uh, um, opposed to any 
disclosure in any circumstance to you know, to look at the lawful purposes clause uh, or article and and co come to the conclusion that under no circumstances you know should you disclose this information the um, the identification of who should have access is actually of paramount uh, importance and uh, and this is the thing that ICANN has bungled most badly because they uh, they have been very uh, uh, very unduly influenced by you know, by parties who probably don't represent the the EU uh, uh, data protection um, thinking. Uh, they represent their own thinking. They represent their own constituency, uh, and and I think that that has been one of the biggest detriments to the way that the policy has been you know, has been developed. Yeah, I, th I think you hit the nail on the head there, Dave. Is that you know Article Six is, as you say, lawful purposes. It's the, it's where you define what is the legal basis for why you're gathering and processing this information. So I can, should have sat down and said, okay, this is the legal basis as why we have all this who is data. This is the legal basis to how we're processing this this legal legal basis, and then they should have put in process procedures to say, this is who and how we can share the information. So we could put maybe certain parts of information out to the general world as a, uh, a service to everybody can get information from a, a who is point of view, but maybe for researchers, you know, bona fide, cybersecurity researchers, law enforcement, et cetera, there's a different agreement in place for them to get to the, to the type of information they need. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it frustrates me as much as it's frustrated you to see that two years into GDPR, well, three years now, given the two years preamble and the one year uh, enforcement, but also the 25 years, 30 years of data protection regime beforehand, that after nearly over nearly 35 years, they haven't sat down and figured out what data have we got belong to people? Why have we got it? What's the legal basis for it? And how do we share this out with other with other parties, uh, right. and they're now being asked that question, and uh, there's panic is set in. And it's interesting. Um, two two points. One is that uh, I actually worked with I can uh, you know, with, with ICANN while I was there to uh, write an article that explained how you could create a uh, a public who is without sharing any personal information. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, and it passed all the legal buster, and it, I published it, and it makes perfectly good sense. Um, uh, and you know, I, I, it's a it's a fairly well visited article, but my guess is that it's not it's not implemented at, you know, at by anyone. Right? Um, yeah. Hence, probably, hence, that's why we're having this conversation today. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but but one of the things that's really that really torques me about this whole thing is that the regional internet registries who you know, who have the uh, you know, have. Uh, who is for all the IP allocations, the prefixes that are, are delegated to everyone from the, the top tier ISPs all the way down to somebody who, uh, you know, somebody who's willing to pay for a slash you know, 25, you know, over nine years or whatever. Um, and it is all published and it's all published under the basis of Article 6. It's all saying that, you know, that, that for network, you know, network stability and security uh, um, purposes, this information is deemed to be, you know, to be public use. Um, there is, I absolutely guarantee you that there are, you know, there are um, records there that are EU, EU citizens. I, I know for a fact that at least seven people <laughs> who have had their IP allocations since the 1980s. You know, um, so I know them personally. I could probably tell you their addresses. 
but I'm a controller now and I won't do that. You know, um, <laughs> so, 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 so the, the way that I can as approach this in, in such a, Oh, well, you know, you know, I'm not going to do this because it exposes too much, really shows how how different uh, you can approach this if your data are accurate. Because the RIR has made an enormous effort to um, to, to eliminate uh, um, address block hijacking, uh, masquerading, squatting, um, by going in and really insisting on very, very uh, well-documented applications uh, and validated applications before you got, yeah, you got the right to use even a single IP address. Uh, and ICANN didn't do that, you know, because it was more of an opportunistic uh, competitive community. You know, there's 3,000 part participants instead of five. You know, so you, know, you, you can e easily see that, that, that the fundamentals for, for, for failure here were sort of built into the system when, when ICANN was formed and even before that. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. So another question I was going to ask is, there obviously must be an impl an implication of GDPR at the protocol level or things like RDBA or whatever are, uh, darn it, I can't ever remember that, but the new who is protocols and things like this. So RADB, um, is there, has that been addressed? Is that being addressed? I mean, you've got to go just beyond encryption here, right? You've got to think about who you're sending stuff to. There's got to be authentication. Has any of that been thought through as well? You mean in the ICANN implementation or? No, or no, just in general. I mean, even going back to the ITF and thinking about how those protocols are developed, has there been any thought there at all? Or is it kind of just moving along through the system? Uh, well, I'll hold my hand up, Russ, and say I don't, short, my short answer is I don't know. Okay. Uh, but I would be surprised if GDPR or any legal framework or re regulation delve into the depths of protocols and how they should be doing. But maybe at a higher level, there are two principles that uh, all organizations need to consider when setting up new systems or processes or procedures that will process personal data or store personal data. And that is, you have to build in privacy by design from the very beginning, and you have to build in privacy by default from the very beginning as well. So if you're developing a new system, a new database, a new website, a new process that could be processing paper forms coming over a desk because GDPR applies to physical data, not just to electronic data. Uh, you have to be, build privacy by design in, in from the very beginning. So how do you protect the privacy of the information from the very, very beginning? Uh, and then how do you ensure privacy by default? Uh, on an ongoing basis, you just can't sort of say, okay, we've designed privacy into this application, but we're going to turn off, we're going to turn it all off by default so that user, you know, the, the customer's uh, uh, personal data is, 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 is sucked up to do whatever you want to do. You have to have it all by default, turned on by default throughout the whole lot. Yeah, right. So, I mean, I'm just thinking it not only at rest though, it also needs to be in flight. Yes, you need to be concerned about this, Correct. right? And yes. that's the point we sometimes miss, I think, is that we think about the database, like Dave was saying, but we don't think about this stuff goes on the wire someplace. Mm -hmm. It gets transmitted and yeah. it's got to be protected while it's on the wire. Correct. So that's, but who protects it? I think I think that the challenge here is that, uh, you know, what, what a regulation uh, described in the manner that, that GDPR yeah, is described um, makes this blanket assumption 
that there's a there's a finite and and definable set of of um, collectors and and processors, and as I as I mentioned in the email example, uh, I mean I'm not the only person who's who's archived all their mail for for their lifetime, uh, and so you know, so you know is uh, I, I I can imagine a circumstance where you know just as a, a proof case I could just take my you know go go the WikiLeaks you know, <laughs> uh, um, route and say here here's here's my my three and a half million emails <laughs> over the course of the last twenty eight years um, anybody can can you know can cull through them and, and gather whatever information they want about me and anyone else that I communicate with I would be in violation of the of the of the GDPR I'm absolutely certain. Uh, and and so so did they imagine that you know that there would be like a billion users who who now are are, are processors and controllers? And that's certainly not, you know. Um, and and so that's just just a simple example. Uh, you know. I'd, I'd, I'd argue to Dave that they have. So like GDPR is 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 technology agnostic, and it's it, it refers to personal data. And uh, maybe a, a reward example. To to to, sh to to share with, with the listenerships is uh, 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 dash cams in cars. Uh, you're driving around as an individual with a dash cam in your car. Well, actually, you as you drive are also collecting personal data of other drivers on the road. Their their faces, their uh, re car registration numbers, etc. Under GDPR, you are also a data controller. So if I see you driving behind me with your data, uh, with your dash cam, legally I can come up, approach you and say, "Here's my subject access request. I want you to give me all copies of information you have about me, and you've got a month, you have a month to give it back to me." Okay. So yes, that that you know. So I, you and I have shared emails, mm -hmm. Dave. I could send you a subject access request and say, <laughs> <laughs> well, "I've already tweeted yours. I've, I've tweeted your personal information." <laughs> This is all a ruse. Just get me into a room so I avoid all that. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, like like like, what it comes back is is fundamentals here is that GDPR was designed to protect people, and to protect people, it's designed to protect the personal data that identifies people and could put them at risk in in whatever shape or form. Uh, so you do under the old. Data protection regimes, you you had this data controller and data processor uh, relationship or the data processor was subservient to the data controller. You also, so on the GDPR, you now have joint responsibilities. So previously, if there was a breach in the data processor, the data controller got fined. Now the data processor and the data controller can get fined. You also have this uh, new thing in GDPR called a joint controller. So if you're a processor, or you're sharing data with somebody else, you could end up becoming deemed to be a joint controller and legally have the same responsibilities as the original data controller there. So GDPR is putting in a lot of things, again, the focus being on individuals and their individual rights, as opposed to being, you know, really caring about uh, what companies think about or the difficulties, you know, I think, Dave, you talked about it. If companies haven't been managing data properly all along, well, then uh, just because a new law came into place, whether that's GDPR or 
whichever country bring in a new law to to enforce you or force you to treat that data with more rigor, that's not the problem of the law. That you could also say argue that's you've had pretty sloppy process going back in time anyway in the first place. <laughs> yeah, right. right. If, if there were one thing that I wish the GDPR had had included, it would have been that if if you were collecting data from any. Um, EU uh, natural person or, or resident, you must collect accurate data, because that would have been <laughs> that would have been the game changer. That that would have been the, the, the clause that says, okay, if you've been collecting crap, you know, it's time for you to be able to actually you know, actually collect correct you know, correct information, because we're going to call on you to demonstrate that you can discriminate. And this is the this is the point that I made over and over and over at, at ICANN when when they came up with a blanket redaction. I said, the blanket redaction is, 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 you know, buying you time. It is not, it is not correcting the, the root cause of the problem. Mm-hmm. The root cause of the problem is that, you know, is that you cannot, with the, with the mechanisms that you use for registration, um, I, you know, claim to have accuracy. You, you will never be able to, you know, to, to be able to implement two conflicting regulations. So if the U.S. has a GDPR and the U.S. GDPR says, uh, like the EU GDPR, you must protect um, all the personal information that the EU claims, but you must publish the email address. I can't can't do that today because they do not know that they do not know whether the, whether the um, registration uh, is an you know uh, organization, uh, and they do not know whether you know uh, whether it is you know, or where that where that um, person resides. And this is the part that, that just drove me, you know, just me batty as, as, as an engineer. I said, you know, you're, you're, you're like building a, a you're, you're putting, you know, lipstick on a pig here. You know, it's still a pig. You need to fix this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, guys, I think that um, we should wrap up because we're pretty long into this, longer than I thought we'd be able to talk about GDPR. <laughs> yeah, who, who, who'd have thought GDPR was so exciting? And That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and who still so, thinks GDPR is so exciting? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think it's important <clears throat> stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, everybody needs to think about it a little bit more about privacy and stuff. So I'll start with you, Brian. Are you on a blog? Do you blog or twi- tweet or Twitter or whatever? I I don't know. I don't do a lot of social uh, media, no. so <laughs> ignore me. <laughs> I, 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 we have a company blog, so that's bhconsulting.ie for okay. security watch. But you'll find me on Twitter under Brian Honan. So okay. Brian Honan, you'll find me on Twitter. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. And so you talk about security stuff on your blo- on the blog there and on Twitter, right? Well, Twitter, I talk, uh, I talk about quite a lot of things on, on Twitter, but mo- mostly security and, and, and data protection. But okay. you find some sport and other stuff going on as well. <laughs> okay. That's cool. And uh, um, Dave, where are you at securityskeptic.com? Is that correct? Yeah. And um, I, I tweet at, uh, you know, at, um, at security skeptic. Uh, um, okay. and I do Instagram, um, but my Instagram moniker is my moral compass points North. <laughs> so, okay. uh, um, and it's mostly, most, mostly golden retrievers, uh, uh, and, uh, and light, lighthearted things. So if you're, okay. you're tired of hearing me scream and rant about, you know, about injustices and, you know, uh, and cybercrime and, you know, and horrible implementations, then, then you can go over and look at, you know, 
cute dogs. Goldens, yes. <laughs> cute dogs, yes. I had a golden once that I eventually had to give away because I got out of the U.S. Air Force and I didn't have any place to keep him. So, oh no. Yeah, it was a sad thing. Since then, I've had three English cocker spaniels and then and a field spaniel. So anyway. And our last English passed away about a year ago, and we haven't replaced him. Oh, I'm so sorry. Man. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's Yeah, it is. But you know, I'm getting old. <laughs> That's when you need them. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Yeah, since yeah. I left ICANN, um, you know, having the two golden retrievers is actually yeah, so like I could have been on a conference call right now with a bunch of people who don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or, or I could be walking my dogs on the beach. <laughs> so, so. And and they don't know what I'm talking about either, but they're much more pleasant about it. That's right. Um, yeah. So um, thanks for joining us for this episode of the network collective. You can come back to the network collective, which is a lot of fun. We have a lot of really good content out there and you should check out our membership because uh, we have a really good slack as well. And uh, thanks for joining us. And remember, you can always find me at rule 11.tech. Thanks.